You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. It's amazing that we're saved by grace. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what's been done to you. My Jesus loves you. And he loves you with an everlasting, eternal love. A love that never fails. A love that'll never forsake you or let you down. And dear one, I don't care what it is you've done and what kind of shame and guilt you're carrying. I want you to know my Jesus because his grace will save you right where you are in the condition you're in. And it's amazing grace. And there is no works uh, uh, on this earth that could ever earn our way into heaven. But I need to just talk to you about that because I need to make that clear to you because when you listen to the teaching tonight, you may be tempted to say she's teaching works. I am not teaching works. I am teaching that amazing grace that now enables you and empowers you to walk out what God has called you to do. And that's what the spiritual adultery series is all about. I'm struck, one of the things that that really grieves me, I'll be honest with you, is I've even done this myself. The Bible says, if you confess Jesus as what? Come on, somebody, Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So if you confess Jesus as what? Lord and believe in your heart that that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The condition on being saved by grace is what? Confessing Jesus as what? Lord, please don't miss this because it grieves me how many times I've stood in front of a group of people and I've talked to them about the sinner's prayer and I've said, just pray this prayer with me. It's that simple and it is. But then I have never talked to them, it grieves me so much, I've never talked to them about the Lordship of Christ. I've never gone on to talk to them about forsaking this world and the selfishness of this world. I've never done that and it grieves me to think the number of times that I've missed out on that. Because the Bible says if you confess Jesus as Lord, He's got to be your Lord. I I will tell you that that I've been living in some scriptures for the past couple months and and they've been alive in me and and I've I've just been chewing on them and and I've been talking to Dave and to Leslie about them and and I've been just sharing them because they're they're just so alive in me. And and, and recently, Leslie and I were in California California, and we went to see John Bevere. Do you know who John Bevere is? And one of my favorite preachers. And and, and I was struck. I just need to tell you how almost dumbfounded I was when we walked into the sanctuary and he began to teach. And and Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. She will tell you this. He began to teach the very scriptures that God had been sowing into my life for weeks prior that I'd been telling her about. She could not deny it. It wasn't like I was just saying, oh, God told me that too and was making that up. I had confessed them to her. I had talked to her about them. And we just sat there dumbfounded that God could be speaking to a man in California the very scriptures the very ideas that he was speaking to me in Wisconsin don't you just love that our God is like that 
But, but one of the things that John Bevere said that struck me so much is he said in the Bible, the word Savior, you see, we, play, we, we really talk about God being our Savior, Jesus being our Savior, and, but he said really the word Savior is only used, get this, in the entire Bible 36 times. But the word Lord, if you confess Jesus as what? Lord, you shall be saved. The word Lord is used 7,800 times. Yeah, let that penetrate you. I want you to just think about that. If God himself in his holy Bible, in his holy word, has only used the word Savior 36 times, but used the word Lord 7,800 times, where is he putting his emphasis? On lordship. And yet we as Christians, as, as preachers... <laughs> We tell people, uh, we stress that, that we, we, we emphasize the work that the Lord does instead of the position that he holds. John Bevere says that Lord declares his position, the position he holds in our lives. Savior emphasizes and declares the work, describes the work that he's done for us. I'll give you an example. My husband Dave just walked in, and, and Dave is indeed my husband. Who knows that? He's my husband. But, but I'm telling you what, he's also my gardener. He can garden like nobody's business. I'm telling you, my, my lawn looks beautiful all the time. My landscaping is perfectly groomed all the time. And, and he really takes care of me, and, and it's rare. It is really rare that I don't go home and find roses on my counter. It's rare for people to come into my house and not see them because he, he takes good care of me that way way and and now I'm telling you he, he helps me with my laundry and and he he, he really he, he there's so much that he does for me but that's what he does for me his position in my life is my husband are you following me God's position in our lives is Lord master owner if you will that's what it means slaves they don't argue with their master, are you following me? They just do what their master says. My husband is from England, and in England it's not a democracy. We don't all have a say like we do in the United States. In England it's a monarchy. One person, the king, the queen, has the final word. Can I tell you our relationship with Christ is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he wants us to be aware of his lordship. Not just the things he does for us, like Dave mows my lawn and trims my shrubbery and, and, and takes care of the hot tub and does nice, sweet things for me. The position that God holds in our life is Lord. It's wonderful that he saves us. Oh, I'm so grateful that he saves me. I'm so grateful that he redeems me. I'm so grateful that he delivers me. I'm so grateful that he provides for me. But those are the things that he does for me. The position that he holds is Lord. And unless I come under, let's use Dave again, unless I come under the position, his position in my life is, is husband. And unless I come under his position as husband, I can't even ask him to do anything for me. Unless we're married and he has that position as husband, I can't benefit from what he does for me. Are you with me? And unless we know Jesus as Lord, the Bible says, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you shall be saved. We can't be saved until we come under the position that he holds in our life. And yet we emphasize the work, 
rather than the position as Lord. And we do our people a disservice, we do ourselves a disservice when we don't emphasize forsaking the world and our selfish ways. And then we want to call it works. That's a works teaching or, or she's stressing works too much. No, I'm talking to you about the Lordship of Jesus, the one who should have the final say in our life. And so that's what we talked about last week just a bit. And, and, and so I want to just, just touch on some of those things. If you open your Bibles to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, you'll recall that last week we talked about the, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And, and I talked to you about how godly wisdom is so much different and so much better because godly wisdom is peace, it, it brings peace with it and it's without fault and, and it's pure, it's not tainted, it, it, it isn't, it's without hypocrisy, it, it yields good fruit in our life. We want godly wisdom, do we not? And yet so often we choose worldly wisdom. We do things the way the world says to do it and, and we let the world dictate to us and because the world says this response or this reaction or this behavior is acceptable, we automatically say, well, it must be. It's worldly wisdom. And God's wisdom might counteract everything that the world says is right, but what do we gravitate towards? What the world says is right. We almost do it by default. We don't even give thought to it. This is acceptable. This is what the media conveys to me. This is what the culture conveys to me. This is acceptable, Rhea. This is acceptable behavior. Certainly God understands my behavior. Certainly he understands why, why I'm angry about this. Certainly he understands why I would do the things I do. Yes, he does. But he wants to be Lord. He wants to be Lord. And he's given us godly wisdom. This, this Bible is filled with his wisdom. You say, well, Rhea, how can I, how can I know what, what, what godly wisdom looks like? You can get in that word. The Bible says that we need to store up the word richly within us. I shared last week about some struggles I was having during the summer, and I, I, was, I was really kind of ugly inside, and, and I was really kind of miserable, and it was because this word uh, was not the primary focus of my life during the summer. I got a little sidetracked, and I, I promise you, bad fruit will always come out of that. And so we talked about the fruit that comes from worldly wisdom and how it's bitter envy, it's, it's self-seeking motivations, it's, it's all about me. I was at uh, um, Pete's Coffee not long ago and I was sitting out on the patio and it's one of my favorite places to frequent and, and, and so I was sitting on the patio working and, and this car pulled in and it was this cherry red convertible and it caught my eye because you know, it, it, was, it was really shiny and it was beautiful and it was sassy cute and, and this woman was in it and she she was dressed impeccably, and her hair was, was just perfect, even though she was getting out of a convertible. And, and, and I couldn't help but notice the license plate that was in the front of the convertible. It said, me, me, me. And I so wish I could have taken a picture of that, because isn't that what it's all about? Me, me, me. That's worldly wisdom. It's all about me. It's self-seeking. It's self-promoting. All it thinks about is me. How is this going to benefit me? What about my rights? What about me, me, me? Are you with me? But godly wisdom, oh, that counteracts everything. See, godly wisdom, it, uh, worldly wisdom might say, hmm, give me an example. Worldly wisdom might say, I have a right to be angry about that. They did me dirty. They hurt me deeply. 
But godly wisdom is going to say, a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The man who overlooks offense to this, it's to his credit. <laughs> I want you to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. That's all godly wisdom. <laughs> but yet we're over here saying, God, I know you're gonna understand this because I'm pretty ticked off and I'm hurting pretty badly, so certainly you understand if I lose my temper right now. Yeah, he does. But you see this godly wisdom over here, let me tell you what it, it does. It's pure, it's free of fault, it's peaceable. Uh, it brings the fruit of peace with it. It's gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality and it's without hypocrisy and it was filled with kindness and good stuff and it will always produce a, a, a harvest of righteousness in your life. I don't know about you, maybe you don't care about being righteous, but I want to because the Bible says that without any of that, without holiness, I will not see the Lord. It doesn't mean I'm not gonna go to heaven, it just means like I said last night, we are not going, last week, we are not going to have an optimal view of God. I, I, maybe you don't care about that because you and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's part of being saved by grace. But there's another scripture that says pursue holiness because without which no one We'll see the Lord done. I have a slide somewhere in that that talks about I'll reveal myself to you. It's a John slide. I don't have it here. Um, can you find that for me real quickly? It's in the Amplified, and it's Jesus talking. And he says, <laughs> Les, do you want to bring me my, oh, here it is. It's a, I'm sorry, it's not in my notes. To, to, it's not in order here, but it's coming through my head, so I want to give it to you. Tell me if he found it before I did. Here it is, I love it. John 14, 21, and the Amplified. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. This is Jesus speaking. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. I will make myself real to him. One of, the, one of the translations says, I will manifest myself to him. See, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't care about holiness. Maybe you want to label it works mentality. Maybe you don't care about, about pleasing God and, and walking in a way that's, that's pleasing to him. But I just want to tell you, there's a scripture that says, if I don't keep his commandments and walk in a way that's pleasing to him, I, if I do that, if I walk in a way that's pleasing to him, if I keep his commandments, I can ask anything I want and he'll hear me. Are you with me? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That means an optimal view of the Lord. Maybe you don't care about getting an optimal view of God, but I want one. Maybe you don't care if God reveals himself to you and manifests himself to you, but I do. I don't want a normal, ordinary, boring, mundane Christian life. I believe God is extraordinary. I believe he is amazing. I believe he is God and absolutely nothing's impossible for him. And I don't know about you, but I want to know God like that. I want him to reveal himself to me. I want him to manifest himself to me. I want to pursue holiness. So you can rock on with your bad self if you don't care about that and you just want to bank on grace. That's great. You can bank on grace and go to heaven. It's wonderful. It's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. But baby, there's so much more. 
there is so much more. You see that godly wisdom that he talks about when we pursue holiness? Somebody said, Rhea, you talked to us last week about, about how we shouldn't have bitter envy. We, we shouldn't uh, be self-seeking. Well, we shouldn't be nasty and unkind. We shouldn't have all these battles and wars between people. We, we, we shouldn't be doing all this. But, but what does it look like to stop it? Here's what it looks like. Pursue holiness. Please God in everything you do. It looks like, Lord, I want to do this, but your word says this. I don't like it. I don't understand it, but you said it. And it's godly wisdom. And you promise that your wisdom is peace-giving. It will give me peace. You promise that, 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 that your wisdom is pure, that it's gentle, that it is without hypocrisy. You promise it's without partiality. You promise my life is going to be better and I'm going to reap a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of peace if I follow it. Who in their right mind would not want to follow that? But here's what we do. The world says I can have sex outside of marriage. The world says that, that I can be nasty and unkind. The world says that I'm entitled. The world says that getting ahead is all that matters, though it doesn't matter who I hurt in the process. The world says, are you with me? And I think I'll eat of that tree. Because Rhea, this really doesn't look like a lot of fun. Oh, trust me, I've been there. You're, when you're an edge liver, I'm an edge liver. Anybody besides me an edge liver, I like to have fun in life. Are you with me? And so this over here seemed like you were cheating me out of something, Lord. Certainly, that's a little too rigid for me. And so I lived on the edge. I lived in the world. Even though I confessed him as Lord, I did whatever I wanted to do. And I partook and I, 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 I did whatever the world said was fun. Mm. You see, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. <laughs> Does anybody know the rest of that scripture? But in the end, it leads to death. Now, that doesn't mean a physical death. It means outside the life of Christ, the fullness. See, his is Zoe life. It's the fullness of life. Have you ever seen Christians just moping and dragging themselves around? They're not very productive. Their lives are unfruitful. It's because they're living in both worlds. They're double-minded, Scripture says. I lived there for a long time. I still live there occasionally. But I'm going to tell you, this is a place of life over here. Lord, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I feel entitled to something different, but because you say so. Because you say so, Lord. I believe seeing you is more important than anything in this world. I believe you manifesting yourself to me and revealing yourself to me. I will tell you, a Christian life without God revealing himself to you, a Christian life without feeling and sensing the manifest presence of God is boring and mundane. And it will always be unfruitful. Baby, when you get a glimpse of God, when he starts revealing himself to you in ways you can't ever think or dream or imagine, that life of God is going to come. You will, not hung you will not hunger for the things of this world. You're like, I don't want anything to stop that, Lord. I don't want anything to interfere with that. I'm going to take and partake of, of godly wisdom. 
What does your word say about this? I'm facing this right now, Lord. I'm going through this challenging thing in my life. I want to respond this way, but your word, well, can you just tell me, can you take me, Holy Spirit? Because the Bible says that we don't need a teacher, that the Holy Spirit will come and teach us. He'll instruct us. He'll give us revelation and understanding. And I promise you that if you seek the Lord, because the Bible says that no temptation has come upon you, but what is common to man, and that when you and I are tempted, If we seek God, he will always give us a way out, a way of escape. Lord, I want to respond this way. Today, I wanted to respond a certain way about something. I felt it rising up within me, and I had to to flee. I had to run out of that place quickly because I knew I was going to respond not in a way that was godly. I I was not going to pay heed to godly wisdom. I was going to do what worldly wisdom says is just right. I want you to don, there's another scripture that talks about fleeing. And I'm sorry, I'm not usually this disorganized, but things are just coming through my head and I want to make sure that we get it all. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.20 and 22. I really love this. It says, flee also youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. Flee, get out of town, youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. It sounds like that scripture that we went through, went over last weekend uh, from Hebrews 12 that says, pursue righteousness without which no one will see the Lord. Here we're seeing it again in Timothy. Flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. The The New Living Translation is really my favorite there. It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. I won't say that again because I don't think you got it. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Does that bring a story in the Bible to anybody's mind besides mine? Who ran from some lust? Who ran from some sexual temptation? Joseph, Potiphar's wife. I saw something in that story this week that I hadn't seen before. The the word says that day after day after day, she she was looking at him with lust in her heart, that she desired him. Now, I'm thinking it was just that one time when Joseph went in and she grabbed a hold of him and and wanted to entice him and he fled and and his cloak was left in her hand. But I didn't see uh, before that it says that day after day after day, she she was lusting after him. But what did, what did Joseph do? When she, when she came on to him, when, when, when that lust turned into something that was disastrous, he fled, he ran out of town. He was like, I am getting out of here. I'm not staying to talk to you about this. There is no negotiation here. I am just fleeing. We're not gonna talk about this. I'm not gonna try to reason with you. I am getting out of town because I am pursuing righteousness. Timothy says, flee, flee from youthful lust. You say, well, Rhea, what are youthful lusts? Well, it's what James 4 is talking about. He, he says, look at this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war against your members? We talked about that word desires. It means lust. It means passion. But here's what, what, what it really means. It comes from the word uh, in, in the Greek where we get our word hedonism. It means that, that I, I think I'm entitled to happiness, that my life is all about pleasure. My life is all about me, 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 getting what I want the way I want. It's always about self-seeking, self-promotion, selfishness. So any youthful lusts, they're going to be things that try to entice you 
and draw you away, let's just talk about a few of them. Let somebody, let's, let's just yell them out. What are some youthful lusts? Oh, come on. Guys, women, men, don't just blame it on the men. Women have youthful lust towards men. Pornography, money, success. What else? Drinking, partying, carousing. What else? I'll just put one in for Rhea. I don't know if it works for you, but food is a youthful lust for me. I can lust after food like nobody else. It's anything that you make your God that you desire more than God. Anybody with me? What are some of the youthful lusts? And the Bible says that you and I need to make a decision to flee from them. Anger can be a youthful lust for, for me. That's childish, Rhea. It's childish to have to get your way and get mad if you don't. Flee from that thing and pursue righteousness. Because, Rhea, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, Rhea, it will always lead to death. It will deny you the fullness of life that can only be found in me. I was reading Matthew Henry's commentary about that scripture in Proverbs, and he, I love this. He said, the ways of carelessness, of worldliness, and of sensuality seem right to those that walk in them. But here's my favorite. He says, but self-deceivers prove to be self-destroyers. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to read it again. That's good, isn't it? The, the ways of carelessness, of worldliness, of sensuality, those lusts after the flesh, all of those things, what the world says is right, they seem right to those who walk in them. Because I'm telling you, when I'm walking in it, it feels right. Because that's, you know, I'm, my little flesh is happy. My, my flesh screams to be heard. Does your flesh scream to be heard? Go on a fast once and see if your flesh doesn't scream to be heard. You say, well, Rhea, you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. You're dead to sin. My father was a mortician. My biological father was a mortician and he told me a story one time in his house in the basement that they had a, that's where he would do all his embalming of the dead bodies. Now, I don't know about you, I would not want to live there, but they did. And, and he tells this story about how when he would be embalming a dead body, all of a sudden an arm would fly up. Now, think about that. Would you not run out of there as quickly as your little feet would take you if you're working on a dead body and an arm would fly up? I, I would get out, I would never go back to that house but not him, you know what he would do? He'd slam that arm right back down on the table because he recognized it was dead flesh. It was just a natural reflex. It was a, a, mus it was a, a mus muscular reflex that would happen after death. And, 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 and so every time I think about my flesh, I think about that story and how you and I have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives within us. And, and this, I, I died to this. But this dead flesh wants to be recognized and it pops up every once in a while and I need to just say, get back down where you belong. You are dead flesh. The grace of God lives within me. His enabling power to say no to those things live within me. I need to recognize it for what it is because self-deceivers will prove to be self-destroyers. You see, the Bible says that we are deceived by what? The pride of our heart. 
Do you know that the Bible talks about three things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of the heart, pride of life. <laughs> Those are the things of the world. And the Bible says that you and I are deceived by the pride of our heart. You know what that looks like. It looks like if I'm gonna go indulge in something, if my flesh is screaming to get angry, if my flesh is screaming to look at pornography, if my flesh is screaming to flirt and have an affair outside my marriage, if my flesh is screaming to, to do somebody dirty and get ahead the wrong way, if my flesh is screaming to go binge and, and, and gorge my face, if my flesh is screaming, I, I, need, <laughs> I need to be able to say, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. This is not from him, and so it must not be a good and perfect gift. This is worldly wisdom. And I'm not gonna be deceived by the pride of my heart. Self-deceivers will prove to be self-destroyers. There's a way that appears right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Worldliness promises carnal pleasure. I'm not, I, I've been there, guys. I, I, I lived on the edge for so many years of my life and still confess Jesus as Lord. And I promise you that worldliness will promise carnal pleasures. And they will appear to be yummy. And they will offer temporary happiness. And everyone around you will be doing it. Because the Bible says it's a broad path that leads to destruction. Do, do you know that? It's a broad path and everybody's on it. But the one that leads to life is what? Narrow. It's narrow. That means not everybody is doing it. But it leads to life. And I'm going to tell you, I want life. I live my summer miserable. I want life. So let's look at this James chapter 4. I want to read it to you tonight in the Amplified. And Leslie, will you watch my time for me? The Amplified, James chapter 4. Just listen to me. Don, we have a, a slide for this. What leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? James is asking. Church, what leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Uh, here's what I hate to see. Christians fighting against Christians. Christians fighting against non-Christians. Come on, guys, we should not be doing that. Yeah, but, but, but what leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Do they not come from your hedonistic desires that wage war in your bodily members, fighting for control over you? You covet and you're jealous what others, you covet what others have, and your lust goes unfulfilled. Now, see, that's not just coveting somebody's house. That's not just coveting somebody's uh, clothing. It's coveting somebody's husband. It's coveting somebody's wife. It's coveting somebody's job. It's coveting somebody's happiness. You're jealous and you covet what others have and your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. You're envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy, so you fight and battle. Now, what does that look like, really? If, I, if I'm not trying to obtain your house, if I'm not jealous of something you have, well, what happens is I, 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 want, I want to be right. I want my way. I want acknowledged, I want affirmed, I want whatever it is we want when we start talking about people and backbiting, when we, stop quarrel, when we start quarreling, when we, when we start being nasty and unkind. 
It's that war that's waging within us. Paul says, I, I do what I don't want to do. Why do I do that? I know what's right, and yet I do what I don't want to do. It's because there's a war waging within you, Paul. I want, you to, I want to point something out I didn't point out last week. The word says, in the, it's in the present tense there, the wars that continually wage in your members. Continually. And if you look up that word in the original language, Don, we have a slide for this. Can you find it? It's strategio or something like that. There it is. What does that look like? Strategy. It's where we get our word strategy. It means of passions that disquiet the soul. You see, when, we're, when we have these wars and fightings within us, when our flesh and our spirit are fighting against each other, it will disquiet our soul. It means to make a military expedition to lead soldiers to war or to battle, to do military duty. It's where we get our word strategy. Can I just tell you that we have an enemy of our soul? Does everybody know that? Your battle is not against flesh and blood. You, you think it is, but, but it's not even against your own flesh. Can I tell you, we look at that and say, I'm not battling any person. My battle is not against flesh and blood. But can I just tell you, even as I just said that, the Lord said to me, your battle isn't even against your own flesh. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and evil forces. It's against the enemy of our soul who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to always be aware of his schemes. The Bible says don't be unaware of his schemes because we have an enemy. We have a deceiver. We have somebody who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is looking to bring us down. And he strategizes. I promise you, he strategizes. This summer, somebody told me, Rhea, I really feel like you're supposed to read the book of Job. And I'm like, yeah, that's what everybody tells people when they go through troubles. But, but this person said to me, Rhea, I really feel like you're supposed to read it. And so in obedience, I opened up Job the next morning and I began to read. And I was struck by something right out the gate. The Bible says that Job, and get this, please don't miss this, Job was upright and he was blameless and he feared God. And he shunned evil. You see, I'm from Pennsylvania, and, and all around the, my home where I grew up, we have Amish. The Amish, are you with me? We have horse and buggies. When you sit on my front porch, you can probably watch horse and buggies just go down the street all the time. It's, it's, it's a wonderful place to live. I went to nursing school at, in Lancaster County, and so Lancaster's filled with Amish and Mennonite. And, and, and so when I read that that, that, that Job was upright and he was blameless and he feared God and he shunned evil, I had this, this ding, 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 ding went off in my head because you see, the Amish know how to shun. It's really, it's really kind of sad, to be honest with you. They will shun one of their own children. If, if that child brings impurity into the church or, or disrupts the family or, or the church in any way, they are called to shun that child. And it's like they're dead. It's like they don't even exist. They could walk into a room and they will all turn their back to them because they, they're shunning them. They could be at a funeral and that child has to sit in the way back because they can't be anywhere near the family. They might be able to attend the funeral, but they are being shunned and it's miserable. It's like they don't even exist. And so when God said he shunned evil, I heard the Lord say to me, Rhea, this is how I see you. It's how I see all the believers, I created them, I know who they are, I know what's inside of them, I put it there. And I know, Rhea, that you're not behaving this way right now, but I know that you are upright, and you are blameless. And Rhea, I know when push comes to shove, you fear me, 
and I am calling you to start shunning evil, just like the Amish shun. Turn your back to that thing. Make it like it's dead to you. I'm not going there. I'm not indulging in that. I'm not having anything to do with that evil. But here's what I love. Don, do we have the slide in Job chapter 1? If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there to, to Job chapter 1, or do we have it? Oh, yes, here it is. So, uh, so God is on the throne, and, and the Bible says that the angels came before him, and, and Satan was there, which just strikes me. I just, uh, Satan is in the presence of God there. And, and so Satan, the Lord says, Satan, where have you been? And look how Satan answers. He says, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Do you know what that means? If you look that up in the original language, it's a term for like a spy. You know when they sent the spies into the promised land to scout it out, to see what was there? It's that kind of thing. It means that you're going in and you're looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Oh, can I tell you that we have an enemy of our soul and this is what he does day in and day out. He goes looking to and fro, scouting out our life, looking for weaknesses and vulnerabilities so he can play them up because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's looking to bring you and I down. And you see, your weakness might not even phase me. And my weakness that I struggle with, you might be able to say, no big deal. But the enemy of our soul, he scouts. And he is looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses and he knows he knows what your weakness is and he is not going to waste his time on anything else we don't war against flesh and blood if you've got these lusty uh, passions and desires and they're part of your flesh you can't defeat that on your own you need the power of God in your life you need that grace that we talked about God's enabling power to do it for you So God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Because he is upright and blameless and he fears me and he shuns evil. I read that and I was like, Lord, it grieves me to think that that's how you see me and that I have not been living up to that. Because that's what he sees in us. Can I tell you? He created you. He knit you together in your mama's womb. He knows what's inside of you. He knows the gifting and the potential that lives within you. And you see, he sees us as upright and blameless. And he wants us to fear him above all else and shun evil with everything we have. He wants us to pursue holiness because without which, no one's going to see him. We're not going to have an optimal view of him. So this passage in James talks about uh, something, our passions and our lusts and our desires, our hedonistic, I'm entitled to pleasure, I'm entitled to, 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 to please myself, that they're warring within me. It's a continual war day in and, and day out. And, and that word, it, it means to send somebody into battle. And we have an enemy of our soul who's trying to find our weakness and he wants a battle in our life. It's a war that we have to be constantly aware of. That's why we talked about bishoping our soul and watching over our soul. Turn over to Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, endure suffering with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they compete according to the rules and follow the rules. Uh, he reminds us that we are in a war. He, he uses the term, you're a good soldier, that you've been enlisted into the army of God. And I'm telling you, our job should be to please the one who enlisted us, to please the Father. And we, we shouldn't get sidetracked in, into civilian affairs, into the things of this world. We should not be sidetracked and distracted into that. We need to be focused and, like, and fight like a good soldier and not get tied up into the affairs of civilian life. We have to please the officer who enlisted us. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. You can still run in the race. <laughs> no prize to be run though. Gotta follow those rules. Back up to verse one in that passage, it says be strong through the grace of God that, that guides you. Use the grace that God gives you to fight the good fight. Use the grace that God gives you to war like a good soldier. Use the grace that God gives you to compete in the race. That's God's enabling power. The same Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives with you and I. You say, Rhea, this is impossible. It's impossible to live holy. You know what my life is like. It, Rhea, it's impossible to pursue righteousness. I've got, I am surrounded with garbage all around me. Can I just tell you God's enabling power lives within you? You say, Rhea, it's impossible. I have this lust for women. I have this lust for pornography. You say, Rhea, this is impossible. I have this lust for food. I have this passion uh, to, to do wrong things things can I tell you what the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us and it's time church that we begin to rise up in all that he says we are and understand that he sees us as blameless and righteous and he believes we have the power to, sh to shun evil because it lives within us and it's his power Is our goal to please God or is our goal to please ourselves? We have his ability, his power dwelling within us. We might have that war continually raging around us. We buy into the fact that our pleasure and our happiness is the sole purpose of our life. Uh, we, we lust and we allow our desires and our passions to win the war. You see, a war is all about when you go to war with somebody, when the United States goes to war against somebody, the whole purpose of that war is to defeat them and get them to surrender. And you see, that the, the war that's raging inside of you is about getting you to surrender. Will you surrender to the flesh or will you surrender to God? What's it gonna be? But the Bible says, if you look at James chapter four, and I'll continue in the Amplified, he says, you adulteresses, disloyal sinners, flirting with the world and breaking your vows to God. Do you not know that being the world's friends, that is loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? Whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think, and I want you to get this, or do you think that the scripture says no purpose that the human spirit, to, says to no purpose that the human spirit which has made to dwell in us lusts with envy. I want you to see something I hadn't seen before. This week I read that in several different translations. I was really struck by one. The J.B. Phillips translation says this. Or do, do you think what the scripture says about this is a mere formality? 
Or do you imagine that the spirit of passionate jealousy is the spirit he has caused to live in us? No, he gives us grace, get this, potent enough to meet this and every other spirit if we are humble enough to receive it. That is why he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be humble then before God but resist the devil and you'll find he'll run away from you. Okay, does anybody, does that rock anybody's world besides mine? You see, I have always looked at that scripture. He's jealous for me. It's a godly. Do you not know that the spirit within you is jealous for you? That's how I've always looked at that. But I want you to look at the context of that whole chapter. Go home and study it. Because J.B. Phillips says, look at this. This is just so good. Do you imagine that this spirit of uh, passionate jealousy is the same spirit that he caused to live in us? No way. You've got a Holy Spirit living within you, and that Holy Spirit doesn't envy, it isn't bitter, it's not self-seeking, it doesn't lust, it doesn't have passion, it's not gonna drive you down the wrong road. That is not the spirit he put inside of you. That spirit of jealousy that he talks about in the first couple verses, that is not from God. And so what's the solution? How do we walk this out? Look what he says. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. I like the Amplified here. It says, humble yourself with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and he will lift you up, and he will give you purpose. That word submit, it means to fall under the authority of someone. Remember, he's our Lord. We're confessing him as Lord. A Lord has the final say, does he not? So Lord, I'm burning with this. I want this. I'm lusting after this. I'm passionate for this. I, I, I really, my flesh is screaming for this, but I'm gonna submit to godly wisdom. I'm gonna submit to you. I'm gonna fall under your authority, the authority of your word. And I'm gonna resist the enemy. I'm going to shun evil, and I'm going to know he's going to flee from me. I'm really without excuse, am I not, if I do it that way? But you see, what we do is we embrace the evil. We embrace the lust. We embrace the, the garbage in our life. I do it too. I'm not pointing the finger. I'm not condemning you. I'm just preaching the word. Can I tell you what the Lord told me this week? I was getting in the shower, and I was thinking about the Bible study. I was praying for you all. And he brought the scripture to my mind. You'll know it. It's the scripture where it talks about, you know, the be, drinking the milk of the world versus eating the meat of the word. Are you watching me? Are you with me? The milk of the word versus the meat of the world and uh, of the word. And, and it's a picture of spiritual maturity. You know, babies. When where's sweet little Karen? Her baby's gonna come soon, and we're looking forward to that little baby coming. And when when that baby comes, it will drink milk for quite a while. But there will come a point when that baby milk is not gonna serve it anymore. It will not continue to thrive. It won't grow up and get strong. There there has to come a time where it switches is over and it starts eating something besides milk. Are you with me? And you see, church, I just want to tell you, this grieves me so much because here is what I see. That we are satisfied with milk. That we come to Christ, we invite people to Christ, we, we preach a salvation message to them, they get saved by grace and we keep feeding them milk. And this week I heard so clearly this might be your first week at Bible study. I will tell you, this is Bible study. 
This is not church. It's Bible study. And I take very seriously my job. And, and I heard him say this week, Rhea, you're feeding steak. And babies will choke on steak. And so not everybody's going to like what you're preaching, Rhea, because it's steak and they'll choke on it. And so let the babies go drink milk. But you have a responsibility as a preacher of the word to grow people up in the Lord. You see, the Bible talks about finishing well. Pray that I finish well, he says. You see, we get people in the race and starting out well, but we don't teach them how to finish well. And you see, it's because we're afraid to challenge anybody. It's afraid, we're afraid to preach the truth because somebody might leave. There's a door. Because if you're serious about growing up in the Lord, I will be vulnerable with you. I will tell you about my struggles because I'm telling you, I got them. I am so far from perfect, but I'm gonna tell you what, I sit in this word and I ask him to speak to me and I take what he says to me and convicts me of and I share it back out to you and you can take the crumbs of it and do whatever you want with it, but I promise you, it's meat. And church, We've got to come to a place where we're not wanting people to tickle our ears. We're not wanting people to say things that make us feel good. I text Leslie today. I said, Les, why can't I just preach about peace? Why doesn't he ever let me just teach on the love of God? Because can I tell you, you are loved by God. It's my favorite message. You are so loved by God. I, I really, I want to preach the messages I preach on the road. When I go on the road, it's not Bible study. It's, it's church. And, and I preach messages about wholeness and about healing your hearts. And those are my, I really like those messages. And people really respond to those. But it's easy to choke on steak, isn't it? Do we want to pursue holiness? Because without which no one will see the Lord. Are we serious about pursuing righteousness? Here's the good news. It has nothing to do with you anyway. It's the same grace that saved you that you couldn't do anything about that now will empower you to walk out what he's called to do. All you have to do, all I have to do, is submit. Submit. My brothers, I had two brothers growing up. I don't know, maybe your brothers weren't like this, but they loved to wrestle. And, and they, would, they would get my arms behind my back and they would say, say uncle, say uncle. Are you, did anybody ever do that to you? And they would hurt me and I'd be like, and they, what they were trying to do is get me to submit. Well, I was stubborn as an ox and I was like, there's no way. And they were older than me and they were bigger than me. But I was like, if you think I'm giving in to you, you got another thing coming. And, and so they would just keep doing it. Say uncle Rhea will let go. And, and they wanted me to submit. Submission is hard, isn't it? God wants us to submit. You see, when he says, do you not know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? You're an enmity with God, enmity with God. It means you're at war with him. That he will oppose you because the whole purpose of war is to get you to surrender. Rhea, if you just would submit to me, this would be so much easier. If you just resist the devil, you could find so much more peace in your life. If you just followed godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. You could have a whole lot more joy, a whole lot more peace. You could avoid a whole lot of trouble, Rhea. He says, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will absolutely flee from you. It's a war, and we have to choose what side we're fighting on. What side we're fighting on. Paul says, and you know this scripture, 
He, he says, uh, well, let's turn to it. it. Don, do we have that scripture? It is about the weaknesses. Second Corinthians 12, 9. Do we have that? Do we have it? Yes, we do. Look at this. My grace is sufficient for you. Do you know that God's grace, amazing grace, his empowering presence, his enabling power is sufficient for you. It's more than enough. It's more than enough for me. It's more than enough for, for me to fight the, 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 the battle with my flesh. It's more than enough for me to get me not to surrender to the, my passions and my lust. His grace is sufficient for you. He says, my loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough. They're always available regardless of the situation. That means it doesn't matter how ugly your lusts are. It doesn't matter how, how driven you are with your passions. It doesn't matter what you're tempted to do wrong. Can I tell you, his grace is sufficient and it's always available to you you regardless of the situation for his power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness therefore I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me oh I just love it Paul is boasting in his weaknesses and that's not really good if you don't understand what weakness is and some people look back and say well he's talking about the thorn in his flesh it must be that weakness well I will tell you that that, that word weakness does mean infirmity it does mean want of strength it means weakness and frailty but you see the commentators say one of my favorite Christopher Page says it contains many of the things that most of us spend much of our time energy and effort doing everything in our power to avoid. That's what weakness means there. The things we're trying to do everything in our power to avoid. And so to boast in this weakness seems really odd. Uh, my, my favorite is it's a lack of ability to restrain corrupt desires, to bear trials and troubles that in in inevitably surface in our life. That word weakness means the lack of ability to restrain corrupt desires and to bear with trials and troubles that will inevitably surface in our lives. Paul's saying, I love it. I'm boasting in those things because you see, when I boast in them, it's an opportunity for God's power to be made perfect, for him to really shine. Can I tell you, I want God to show off in my life. I want it. You see, when I am weak, he is strong. When I can't do it myself, his enabling power will do it in me and he gets all the credit for it. And so we can boast in our weaknesses because his power will be made perfect in them if we submit, if we pursue godly wisdom, righteousness and holiness. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. He's strong in me. Do you love it? So let's make it practical. How do we do this? This week when we go out, I don't know, maybe you're going to a job you hate and you get grouchy every single day you have to go there. Well, I'm so glad, Lord, I can boast in the fact that I really don't like this job and that you are going to change my heart and that you're going to enable and empower me to face this. And so I'm going to go in there this week and I'm going to pursue holiness. I'm, I'm going to follow what your word says. I'm going to, you see, love overcomes a multitude of, of wrongdoing. That's what your word says. So I'm going to, I'm going to go in there and the people who hurt me, I'm just going to love them because that's what your word says. And, and that's what godly wisdom tells me. And you promise that when I, when I seek godly wisdom, I'll, I'll have peace and I'll have a righteous, a, a, a harvest of righteousness that comes. I want that, Lord. Okay, let me make it a little more practical. Let's say your husband does something to really tick you off, or your wife, and you want to tell them 
a thing or two. But you see, worldly wisdom says a man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. So mm, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, Lord, you say that your power is made perfect in my weakness, and I'm really weak right now, and I want to say a thing or two, and my flesh is screaming, but you have, you say your grace is sufficient. So I'm leaning on that enabling power. I am leaning on your, your uh, empowering presence in me, and I'm going to shut my mouth and zip my lips, and I'm, I'm going to just love and overcome a multitude of wrongdoing. Leslie, look up on, on uh, your iPad. The scripture, it's a proverb, and it says um, something about when you overlook offense to him, this is to your credit, something to that effect. Um, give me another example. What, what do you struggle with? I'll give you something. Somebody yell out, what do you struggle with? All right, forget it. Uh, let's say you struggle with pornography. The Bible says, flee from sexual immorality. The Bible says that if a man even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, and, and it's not just men, if a woman, I, I will tell you, pornography is every bit as big an issue in women's life as it is in men's. So let's just say if a woman looks at a man with lust in her eyes, she's guilty of adultery. That's God's word. I'm not adding to it. It's what it says. You say, well, we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments, Rhea. That, all, all that stuff, all his commandments are Old Testament. Are you kidding me? Have you read your Bible? Let's go to the New Testament and let me pull all the scriptures that talk about keeping his commandments, following his word. And God one-ups them. I'm telling you, God says in the Old Testament, he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But in the New Testament, he one-ups it. He says, now, you, you know, I, 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 I fulfilled that law. <laughs> But you know what? It's not just if you commit adultery. If a man even looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's guilty of it. Let's one-up it. You see? And these ridiculous people, and it's ridiculous, that say, oh, that's Old Testament, and we don't need to follow that. Have you studied your Bible? Study to show yourself approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of God not who distorts it, not who makes it what they want it to be to please themselves and make their life easy. Makes me a little mad in case you didn't notice that. Makes me mad because we have what we need for life and godliness, the Holy Spirit living within us, the grace of God. The grace of God. You see, when, when one of the disciples, I can't remember who it was, went into a certain town in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter three, he says he saw evidence of the grace of God in their life. That means that they had so changed because of the grace of God working in them that it was, it was evident to his eyes. That's what should be happening to us, church. Here's what I love. I have this on my, on my screensaver on my computer. It says... I like it better than one I have on my computer. Yeah, I do need a brand because it is really good. It talks about it's to his credit. Um, hmm. I'm going to let it be silent till I look here. Nope. I'll bring it for you next week because it talks about, you guys can Google it and try to find it because I promise you it's in the, it's in the word. And it says something about, you know, when, when somebody hurts you, 
it, it really, it, you know, that scripture says it's to your glory to overlook an offense. I think it's that scripture, but it's in a different translation. And it says that when you overlook an offense and you don't respond, nasty, it's to your credit. It's credited to you. I want that, don't you? So this week, let me challenge you with this. The whole uh, returning to James chapter 4 was to get to that point where we talk about submitting to God and resisting the devil. Will you make a choice this week to not go the way of worldly wisdom, to not go the way of what the world excuses, what the world says is okay? And will you begin to embrace godly wisdom, what God's word says how we should be living, what God's word says is right, not what feels right, what God's word says is right. Because you see, that's the way of life. That's the way to peace. Some of you, you're not experiencing the fullness of life, and it's because you're embracing this other way. In the end of that passage, he says you're double-minded. You're trying to live with a foot in both worlds. I want to get this. I don't know about you. I want to get it. Because he leads us in triumph. Victory is ours in him. And we don't have to continue to be tormented by lusts and passions and desires that war within us. We don't have to continue to be in conflict with one another. And, and, and with that word in the first verse of, of James mean word wars. We, we don't have to get into war, word wars with people. We submit to God. And the life of God will come in us. Dear one, can I tell you, I can go through a room and pick out the bitter people. I can pick out the angry people because it shows right here on your face. Come on. You don't want that. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And embrace the Zoe life that God has for you. I'm going to work on that this week. How about you? Just start with one scripture. What's your weakness? Find a scripture that counters it and choose to submit to it all week long. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for each man and woman in this room. I thank you, Father, for the enabling power of God that lives within each one of us. That you did not leave us as orphans. You didn't let us to care, alone to care for ourselves. You didn't, you didn't let us having to fend for ourselves and to deal with our stuff ourselves. You did not leave us as an orphan. You gave us your Holy Spirit that lives within us. That the grace that lives within us, the enabling power of your Spirit that lives within us to walk this stuff out. We just simply need to submit to come under your authority because you say it, Lord. We will do it. Jesus himself said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Lord, how would our lives change if we lived our life saying, I'm only going to do what the Father tells me to do? What would our lives look like, Lord? 
Father, I pray that this word would come alive in people this week. I pray that nuggets of truth would just, uh, would just be deposited deep within their hearts and their souls and their minds. And Lord, that you would bring it back to mind throughout the week. I pray, Father God, I pray that, 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 that you who say that no temptation has seized us, but what is common to man, and that you will always give us a way out when we're tempted. I pray that whether we're tempted to get angry, whether we're tempted to get jealous, whether we're tempted to look at pornography, whether we're tempted to steal something, whether we're tempted to lie, whether we're tempted to gossip, whether we're tempted to have an affair, whether we're tempted to do whatever, Lord. That temptation, you will always give us a way out of if we just call on you, if we just take it, if we submit to you. Flesh that out in our lives this week, Lord. Let us see it at work. I believe your word is true. And so when you tell me when I submit to, to godly wisdom, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to have good fruit come out of my life. I believe that, Lord. And that's what I want. And that's what I want for everybody here. And so, Father, would you do a good work in us this week? Let your word come alive. Grant us deeper revelation of it. And give us, Lord, an optimal view of you this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website, www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.